What's up, fight fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is September 27th, 2020. It is Sunday. In this week's episode, Kings reign supreme at UFC 253. We'll be talking about everything in the UFC's return to Fight Island, Adesanya and Jan Blahovich um, claiming the titles on Saturday night. We'll be talking about the latest news. Is Conor McGregor going to be boxing Manny Pacquiao? And who will be the mysterious opponent for Hamza Chemaev? And we'll close out the show talking about this coming Saturday's event. It is UFC Fight Island 4 featuring former champion Holly Holm taking on Irene Aldana. I am Gabriel Gonzalez and I am here with my co-host Natalie Zamudio. Hello Double G. How are you feeling from coming off the high of, uh, of UFC 253? Good question. So when I was listening to it, when I was, sorry, when I was watching it, my biggest thing was that this is uh, not quite what I expected. You know, it was a slower main card. I think it was a slower prelims, to say the least, especially in that yeah. hour leading up to it. And um. You know, I, they mentioned in all, on the broadcast, it's like, oh, it's quiet, and then the title fights come on, and then it's going to be a different ball game. I do agree with that. But I will say, um, you know what? It was just a oddly paced card, because I think that, you know, when you have this big doubleheader, you're hoping the prelims back-to-back-to-back lead up to it. And not that guys had a bad performance, but, you know, there were a lot of workmen-like fights leading up to it people kind of just shut people down got to a decision pretty well so it was one of those kind of nights what about you yeah it was not a you know extra thrilling night of fighting it was just like consistent steady old reliable mma but when you have those two fights waiting for you at the end you kind of you kind of would hope for something um uh, you know, to prime you up a little bit better, but, but I'm not, uh, knocking it. It's just, uh, like a lot of, you know, high contrast, right? <laughs> uh, I'll say this. Uh, I'll say this. I do believe I saw greatness. I did walk away saying, I wish we got a lot more of those two, because to me, I think that was it. It's like, okay, just give it, like, I, I'll say it. And anytime you have one of these big fights, not all of them, I will say that about, oh, I need five rounds of this. This was one I was like, give me five rounds of Reyes Blahovich. Give me five rounds of Adesanya versus Costa. Um, and, you know, pretty handedly, you know, that just is not how they went down. So I saw greatness. I did walk away wanting a little more MMA. I'll say that right now. Okay. But um, let's talk about this main event to get a roll in. Um, Israel Adesanya defends the middleweight title. He stops Paulo Costa in the second round. Um, Natalie, my biggest takeaway from the fight, I think you saw that even for a guy as talented as Adesanya, there is a next gear, there is that proverbial in the zone, so to speak, even for a guy who on a regular night is so good like Izzy is, and I think you saw that last night, um, his ability to get out of the way of Costa, his ability to shut him down, avoid the power, avoid the exchanges. I felt a lot of those exchanges that we did see in the fight 
They were reminiscent of Adesanya versus Whitaker, even though Whitaker's the one who you think would be so much stronger and authoritative in those exchanges. Adesanya was walking away, connecting, and just getting the better of them. And that just continued throughout the fight. I think that Costa, he did a good job trying to get in the head of Adesanya. I think he did a good job with the gamesmanship, you know, hands behind the back. He's taunting. He's trying to goad Adesanya into that firefight. I think that he was executing a lot of that well. The fact is, Adesanya did not bite on it. He did not deviate from his game plan. He did not do that. And I'll say it again. From a great effort from Costa, I think once he knew he was not about to catch up to him in a race, he did the next best thing and like, okay, let me try to get Adesanya to do what I want him to do. That did not happen, but I applaud the effort is my point. Um, But after that, I think it was pretty clear the accuracy of Adesanya was just on point last night, and that is exactly why he was able to land the shots when he did. He connects. Um... Costa goes down, and that's all she wrote. Now, there's a lot of extracurriculars, the speech (laughs) and all that, and I want us to save that. I want to get your thoughts, though, on the X's and O's on how it all went down. Absolutely. So, yeah, the the showdown had me a little nervous because of the stark difference in in size. Israel Adesanya pre-fight was was warning everybody, I guess, saying, you know, folks are going to be... Y'all must have forgot... Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but he's wondering, you know, how is the skinny guy going to beat this muscle muscle guy, muscle-bound guy? Um, and he says, just watch, you'll see. And sure enough, we sure did. Um, when, after the, 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 um, the face-offs with the belt and all that stuff, it did make me a little nervous because sometimes when fighters react strongly to a confrontation like that at the face-offs, um, you know, bad things happen, right? Uh, Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm. You could, yeah, Conor McGregor, I think that was the first one when he punched uh, Nate Diaz's hand away, um, and, you know, and they both then lose their fight. So I thought, okay, is, is, is Costa getting under Izzy's skin, or is Izzy just a game, you know, game dog ready to fight? So, you know, it was the latter. And uh, you could tell when he got in there, he was just stoic, he was calm. He, he crossed Costa's path in the octagon upon entering. And Costa sort of like leapt at him, sort of like a, you know, like a, like a dog, just ready to go. <coughs> Excuse me. Izzy stayed cool. He was like, no, no, no. And as you noted, that, that, that stance stayed true through the whole fight, as short as it was. He wasn't going to bite, but he also wasn't backing down. Izzy was there. He engaged in that taunting, but never lost focus, whereas I think Costa did. And... Of course, the leg kicks from Israel Adesanya to start right off the bat. That was the big difference maker there for uh, for Costa. At first, I thought, oh, boy, Costa's legs are so thick. Um, you know, this could be an Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman scenario we're, we're looking at here. But no, Adesanya was able to effectively beat down that, excuse me, that left leg. The tension, the animosity between the two, it was high the whole time. This was an excellent fight. And, you know, Israel Adesanya showed everybody the skinny guy can, with skill, with patience, with the game plan, can, can really cut down the, the tallest, thickest tree in the, in the forest. I mean, I think that's a beautiful metaphor. I think that explains it pretty well. Um, I, I feel like Costa 
came in very focused. I don't think that he was overwhelmed by the moment. I want to say that. I think that Costa, he was outfought by a better fighter uh, last night. And I think that's just really what it came down to. Um, I do feel like he was ready. I do feel like, you know, he looked in shape like we expected. But, you know, I think that's just my point is that there's not a lot of X factors in there. I think that Israel Adesanya just was the better fighter who executed a better game plan in the, you know, in the fight. So that was quite something. Um, I think you broke it down really well. Uh, I'm going to say this because I feel like, you know, to go back before we start talking about the future, or sorry, after, would just get a little confusing. Um, Israel Adesanya beats him. Ref pulls him off. Um, you know, you have kids, you know wh- how, where they come from. Um, uh, Israel Adesanya did something that mimicked how you get there. Yeah, I took um, a little extra seat time on yeah. the back of the... <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get into that so we don't lose uh, potential money down the line. Sure, but, sure. Um, you know, uh, when he did that, I was very... That was uncalled for. I, I thought it was very um, uh, in poor taste. You know, uh, look, I get it. They've been talking a lot. They've been talking a lot. Israel, not only did you beat him, but you pretty much smoked him. You literally chopped down the tree and put him down under 10 minutes um, in a title fight on Fight Island after all the hype. Um, and you made it look with, you know, relatively speaking, he didn't take much damage, did Izzy? So, you know, to see that, uh, I would... I'll say this, and I listened to our show back. I don't feel like I held Colby Covington to enough of a standard last week, and I realized it's like, you know, I just, I kind of let him, uh, we know what kind of stuff Colby says because it's Colby. That doesn't make it more right, but, you know, Colby was talking out of a place that I'm not going to talk about. I think that um, that was uncalled for. I think that Adesanya, as much as I will admit right now, we saw greatness and all that. I didn't see the media hold him to it. I will say that. Adesanya, there's no place for that, man. You got him. Um, And look, I think the fact that he made physical contact when the ref, after the ref stopped it, that's what bothers me. Because, you know, Tito Ortiz, he pretends to drag the body and throw the dirt on it. I get that. A guy's pumped up, he does a little dance, or he jumps on the cage, and, you know, I get that, you know, that's exactly what you want, that's what we sign up for, is, you know, potential knockouts, right? I get that, but, um, yeah, the physical contact he made with Costa after, I didn't like it. Yeah, we want to see our fighters celebrate of, of a tremendous victory like Israel Adesanya had, you know, it's the touchdown dance, right, in the, in the end zone. We get a kick out of seeing it. Justin Gaethje doing his black backflip, especially after that the first time, right? He won. I think was that uh, Michael Johnson when he yep. couldn't he couldn't stick it. He had to do it like three times. Okay, that's fun, but just keep your hands off the opponent. Like, come on, <laughs> whatever you know. What do we like to see after a fight between two guys that were really going at each other? Is the handshake? You want to see the hug? You want to see the hey, good fight, man? And then you celebrate whatever and do whatever you want to do. We didn't see it with Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, and that really rubbed people the wrong way, right? She refused the handshake. Um, Conor McGregor, Khabib, Khabib owned him. He choked him out in, you know, an embarrassing way because that's what he's, Conor McGregor is sort of like, that's the um, the stain for him, right, is being submitted and having to tap out. He has this beautiful victory, and then he jumps over the cage, and we all know what happened there. So Really? What happened? I forgot. 
I don't know. <laughs> I think he was throwing flowers, uh, roses into the into the crowd. Oh, I've got to watch that. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm with you. It was a uh, poor taste, uncalled for. Keep your hands off the opponent. The fight's over. The ref has stepped in. Like, you know, I think you made your point. And it, don't kick a man while he's down. It doesn't matter what was said beforehand. Just move on with your life. Celebrate. Enjoy your victory. And uh, be a good sportsman. Like, that's, that's not too much to ask. Yeah, it was just, an, and look, I'm, I'm not going to act like I know how many emotions go through you when you win a big fight like that and after everything that's been said. And look, some of those, uh, um, Paolo's digital artwork he was posting, it wasn't in the best light either. But once again, it's like if the physical contact, that, that made me uncomfortable, I'll say that. But I'm going to go back to it again. Um, it doesn't take away from the fight. Israel Adesanya proved... Um, I'll say this, and I said this after Whitt- after he beat Whitaker. Um, I think we saw that Israel Adesanya again last night. When he's at that, when he's in that extra gear, it is hard to imagine anybody at 185 beating him. To be quite honest with you, I think just when I look at him stylistically against a lot of the other guys we have in there right now, it's just hard for me to say, oh yeah, that he might have his number, something like that. For example. Justin Gaethje, you know, I, I can't say that, you know, next gear Habib um, still is going to outwork Justin Gaethje, you know, now we're going to get into that about, about a month from now, but that's just my point. This is real Adesanya, when I look at the middleweight division, I don't necessarily know that, you know, there's a guy out there who the best is he, another guy beats him. And I think that that's a very scary proposition. Let's talk about the future. He did kind of lay the seeds to be planted. If Jared Cannonier beats Robert Whitaker, he wants that fight. I can assure you that's not in Robert Whitaker's plan. So if Jared doesn't win, I can imagine that Izzy is probably going to look at the winner of Darren Till versus Jack Hermanson in December. That's another big high-stakes middleweight fight. So I think you put all that together. There's definitely, you know options out there at 185 but let me toss it to you do you feel like that's laid out or do you feel like there could be a you know something out of left field for Adesanya I think it's pretty much laid out but I'm looking at the rankings and so apart from Jared Cannonier and your your suggestions of Hermanson Till winner not much else excites me in the top 10 but you know who does? He's number 11, Edmund Shabazian. Now, it's probably too soon for him, not fair to him, but just from what I've seen so far, that looks like something that, you know, in the near future would be an exciting matchup. So you think uh, maybe Edmund, you know, while Adesanya does other stuff, that Edmund maybe I'm late s- 2021, if he gets the right wins? Yeah, it won't take too much. I don't think Adesanya is going to fight again this year. And so we get him early 2021. I think maybe by July, we could see Edmund being really close to that shot. Because look who's ahead of him. Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman, Kelvin Gastelum. I mean, I don't think I don't think that the UFC would rather make a fight with any of those guys over some really promising prospect like Shabazian. Um, I don't know. I'm excited about that coming down the line. Yeah, we're talking 2021, but... It's not, it's not that far off. 
I think I need to see him bounce back uh, from the Derek Brunson loss because I felt like that was almost just a little too authoritative. I think that you saw that Edmund had a lot more to grow before I could say, yeah, let's get him back in there. Um, I think I just need to see that. Uh, look, I think he's certainly there. I think he's, you know, he turns this ship around and he puts a few more wins up. Uh, I think that he's definitely able to. We saw he's capable of it. I think he had like, he, he was on a great run of like first round victories, if I'm not mistaken. So yep. I will say that I think I just need to see him bounce back against some more tough competition before I'm sold on Edmund getting there. Um, to me, I think, uh, assuming Adesanya's perfect world plays out, he beats Jared Cannonier. I'm sure he'll look at where we at on the calendar, and that's going to lead into our co-main event. But um, I think he'll weigh his options if he gets past Jared, let's say March, April next year. I'm sure he's going to look at it. Well, you know, do I want necessarily like, am I looking at Darren Till versus Jack Hermanson? Is that the fight I want, or? What's going on at 205 pounds? So I'm going to take that for a beautiful segue. Let's talk about it. At, you know, we have a new king in the light heavyweight division. His name is Jan Blahovich. He got the victory over Dominic Reyes. Um, I think the thing to me, when I was watching this fight, I feel like Dominic Reyes was a little surprised with how much stronger Jan Blahovich was. And I can't remember if I necessarily discussed it as much on the show, but to me, I think the biggest difference is that, okay, well, he just came off five rounds, pushed John Jones, the GOAT to the limit. Jan Blahovich is much more dangerous in the pocket than John Jones. If anything, John Jones is dangerous in the same place as Dominic Reyes is. Mid to long range, uses those long limbs, gets all that speed behind him, whips him out there. That's where John Jones brings a lot of problems. Jan Blahovich doesn't have that reach. But if anything, when you get more into those exchanges in the pocket, he tends to hurt you. I'll say it right now. When is the last time you saw a body kick leave a welt like that early? Oh, boy. I mean, I Jose yeah. Aldo needed like eight of those to do that to Uriah Faber's leg. Jan Blahovich lands one and it didn't even look like he got all the whip behind it. That was brutal. I think that speaks to the physical specimen that Jan Blahovich is. Um, and I think that, quite bluntly, that surprised Dominic Reyes. He did find his timing in the second round, but once again, that was another one where Jan Blahovich was right there with him the whole time. I gave Jan round one. Dominic was starting to take away round two, but then obviously the damage happened and that was the end of that at the end. But um, yeah, I think just really the horsepower behind Blahovich and his technical prowess. It's not like he took a lot of shots. Um, we all know that Jan Blahovich is a very technically sound guy himself. So I think that's what got him the job done. Yeah, the rib kicks were the difference maker. And one of the slow-mo replays, it certainly looked to me like you could see the rib like just go way deeper than it should on any human person, uh, you know, touching who knows what internal organs, lungs and what else. It just looked like it caved in so hard. Yeah. I've also not seen ribs bruise that quickly, that intensely. I could have sworn there was a bone, you know, jutting underneath the skin. 
but I don't know if you've heard if there is any confirmation that he actually did have a rib broken. But um, whew, that was killer. I think Dom felt the power. And, you know, when he first walked in the cage, I was telling my husband, I was like, he looks lean. Like, he doesn't look as muscular as he did before. Now, he's not like a, a super, like a... He's not a Paulo Costa. Yeah, exactly. He's not a Paulo Costa. He just has this really natural, long, almost like a Michael Phelps swimmer's physique. Um, but he knows how to use it well. But he looked a little leaner to me. So maybe he did. Maybe he, maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. But clearly there was a difference in, in strength and power in this matchup. And Dom felt that. He felt it. I think he got a little nervous. But as you pointed out, he, he sort of got his bearings back in round two. But Jan blitzed him, crushed his nose, and then, and then finished the job. He made him do the Bambi on ice dance, you know, when your legs gave out on you, the whole shebang. So I was really surprised by this fight. I picked Dominic Reyes to win by decision which now seems like such nonsense. Um, I should have at least <laughs> picked something, you know, a finish a little bit earlier. I, you pick Jan? What, I did. what round did you pick Jan? I can't remember. I think I said third, but it may have been decision two. Okay. I got to look back. For some reason, I thought you actually got second, but I don't, like, I wasn't uh, sure. I'll look back at it. We'll, I'll text it to you, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I became a believer in the Polish power. Yeah, I mean, I did too. When they were in the cage, I was like, oh my God, look at his head. His head is so giant compared to, to Dominic Reyes' head. He's like a tall Dennis Seaver, just built like a little tank. You know what I yeah. mean? Just yeah. taller. Eastern Europeans are they're made of something else, man. They're just thick and tough and completely unbreakable. That, he's got that farm strength kind of mm-hmm. look to him, like uh, Alexio Linick. He just has that kind of yeah, like um, quality. Head and shoulders, no neck, and it's just a really tight freaking structure that cannot be. <laughs> I think Brendan or who else was on the call, it might have been John Anik or somebody, he said, look, he is. he was made for fighting. If it wasn't in the cage in the 21st century, it would have been back in the olden times, he's hopping off a ship. He's got that look to him. Yeah, well, look, put him on a Nordic on a Viking ship. Uh, yeah. You know, I know he's Polish, but you know that's just that <laughs> that look that he has. Yeah, he's you know he's got that Polish Thor. Anyway, yeah, we we get you. it. We, we, he, he looks like a Viking. Anyway, yeah. but um, nice guy. I think that he's got the Robert Whitaker quality to him. He's not really a trash talker. He just has that really deep baritone voice, and you know he tells you he's just gonna go out there, live his life, and kick butt. I'm all for it. I'm okay with it. I think that it was fun. Um, I think that, uh, you know, real quick on the fight, I was a little surprised that Dominic didn't try to go for more takedowns. That might have been respect for the power, but I did feel like that would be an X factor is he's so fast. I'm like, he has to have thought about, you know, if this isn't going well, shock him with some takedowns. That could be what helps me out, but... um. Yeah, I think that's just the respect he had for getting in close to Blahovich is that he didn't feel like he could pull it off, and that's why he tried to work his speed at mid-range instead. Going forward, uh, Blahovich kind of laid it out. He did say he's looking at the winner of Tashira and Tiago Santos. That one, I want to say they're looking at November. For I know they just announced it. I know I wrote it up. I think it's November 7th or something like that. But the fact is, they are still looking to do the fight. That makes sense. I don't think there's anybody else really. I know John Jones tweeted it out. I feel confident saying that he is just... 
he was on Twitter and having fun and talking everything he could think of. So I don't believe John Jones is going to do it. I think the only way he does he fights Blahovich possibly is if you were to find out that uh, Stipe and Francis aren't going to fight until like next July. That's the only way John Jones is like, yeah, I'm not going to wait two years to fight. I'll fight Jan and then try to go back up. I mean, even that is just hard to believe that you know, John Jones just likes to tweet and, you know, like, yeah, you can just see the smirk on his face the whole time when you read all those messages. So I don't believe, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. <laughs> it just makes me kind of do the eye roll a little bit. Not going to lie. No, I get you. Um, so Tashir and Santos, the winner of that one, I think is pretty obvious, especially for Tiago Santos. You got the storyline there. He almost beat Jones. He did beat Blahovich to get his own title shot. I think there's a story there. Glover Tashira, he's kind of got that, um, you know, like he was running on ever-ready batteries. You know, it's, he'll, he's done when he says he's done. I wouldn't mind it. I think stylistically, they actually match up pretty fun against each other. Um, so I'm not against either of those fights. If for whatever reason something's going on, I can see Alexander Rakic, who just beat Anthony Smith, being a dark horse and jumping in there. So there's options out there for Blahovich. So um, I get the impression he's going to be active, and I really like that. I think the right matchups... This could be really fun. And um, look, he's got a great resume right now. I mean, knock out Luke Rockhold, Corey Anderson, beat Chakare. I think he's on a solid run as he steps into title, you know, to be in the champion of the division. So I like it. Yeah, I think you're right. He is going to be the guy that just like so thrilled to have the belt that he's just going to hit the ground running with it. Not a fit of anybody. Yeah, he called out. John Jones in the in the moment and then offered other other uh, opponents, but I think he'll just take whoever, and he's not going to get a an easy an easy fight that that doesn't happen. So it's going to be a tough one, and um, yeah, he just fought what he fought in February now September. Okay, so I wonder if we'll see him by the end of the year. I feel like that would be really awesome. Um, I'll say this: a big part of that is COVID. I mean, you got to think that he was always going to either wait for a title shot no matter what. So as soon as they said that John Jones was moving up, you realize like the same minute they seemed to finalize this deal for Reyes and Blahovich. So I do think he would have been more active this year had it not been for all that. Yeah, for sure. You said you think you will see him one more time this year? Well, I would like to, um, but I guess it, I guess it all depends on if they go back to Fight Island. Um by the end of the year, I don't think that's in the cards, is it? That's a good know. question. I don't think anybody asked him, can he get to the United States if necessary? I'm not yeah. sure. I think they could. I think we'll find out. Um, I will say this. I agree with a lot of people. I think that there will be some movement on a lot of fronts uh, after, you know, things are worked out with this thing they call the election. So, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, certain decisions are going to be made that, let us know where we're going to be at going into next year. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Anyway, but um, we'll get in. You know, that's for another podcast that talks about something a lot less fun. <laughs> not that's not our job. <laughs> yeah. Um. With that though, uh, yeah, I think that um, if they do December somehow, 
I think it depends on how much they're looking to stack that card. Uh, for example, they have Usman versus Burns, Nunez versus Megan Anderson. I mean, I feel like they want to do a triple header, but I feel like the the schedule has just kind of screwed them there. I think that um, I think they're looking at can Wei Li get to the United States. I think they're going to look at that for possibly Rose Namajunas. Um, I'm sure if not, they'll probably put another good fight on there, like a Tony versus Dustin level fight. You know what I mean? Some yeah. recognizable names with high stakes. But yeah, I feel like that's the only way they book him in December is if they can get him there for the triple header. If not, we'll probably look in January or February for him coming back too. Okay, I mean, that's that's still soon enough. And uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. We have we have some good dudes in the uh, in the division, but I'm really looking specifically at Tiago Santos. That's that's the uh, that's the one I think we all want to see. Oh yeah, I think uh, I mean, and we'll be talking about it soon. How are Tiago's knees doing? Because if he mm-hmm. looks anything like the guy he was when he left, oh boy, let's have some fun. Yeah. But yeah. Um, before know. we move on, honorable mention Brandon Royville. Uh, he beat uh, Kaikara France. He told me we uh, on the virtual media day, he's been watching Kai with all the city kickboxing guys around Fight Island. And he said, it's like watching the cool kids at school. Like they're all rolling deep and, you know, they got Izzy over there. And he said, any other time I would be going up like, hey, Adesanya, can you sign this for me? <laughs> and so I asked him, it's like, so you said it was like watching the cool kids at school. Does this make you the big man on campus? And. He was very humble about it, but um, I like his personality. I think he's very grounded, and he's in a great spot. He had a great breakout victory. I liked it. Also, to go back to Jan Blahovic one more time, I always bring this up when I talk about him. Um, leading up to the Tiago Santos fight, he was almost exclusively on prelims, or he was on cards that were only on UFC Fight Pass. He was getting, like, no real television time he was not getting any primetime exposure and i always said it's like hey look you know when he started in ufc it he wasn't the most consistent he had a lot of setbacks and he really turned it around and to so to see him become champion i'm like look you're talking about a guy who even he was in the ufc winning they weren't even putting him on television and he gets that big victory on saturday i'm like hey that's the complete 180. Because even after losing to Santos, he was getting all the big fights. And I think that says a lot about, you know, reinvention. And I feel like I want to note that before we move on. Okay, right on. I like it. Um, let's talk about the big breaking news. Um, talking about fighters who love Twitter. If there's one guy who loves it more than John Jones, it may be our buddy Conor McGregor. And he dropped a, he spilled a lot of tea. He, yeah. he let us know. So let's start from the top he said that he wanted to fight in may and i'll say this so dana white addressed it dana white essentially confirmed yes those dms are real Mm -hmm. so i want to say that he was serious he wanted to fight justin gaethje in los angeles he wanted dana to make a card in los angeles in may i do you remember where the May pay-per-view was supposed to be? Remember, they're always in like a big city every month for the pay-per-view. I do not remember, no. Because I think June was Australia. 
Oh man, we got to do like I think that I no, it would have been Brazil. They were going to go to Brazil with Henry Cejudo and Jose, remember? Before okay, COVID. Yep. But mm-hmm. so he essentially wanted them to make another pay-per-view just for him in Los Angeles. And remember, we were on a consistent schedule, so it's like, okay, so he wanted them to move it around um like I get I forget why I don't remember on the message if he said why that fight did not materialize but essentially Connor said that's what I want he did say he did not want to be a backup fighter and right. I I got to say this I agree with him you if anything Connor McGregor is a guy you find a backup for like if Connor's opponent falls out you leave another one in line not Connor McGregor backs up anybody and I respect that. I do believe that he is that guy in the sport. So I'll give him that. And then he was serious about Diego Sanchez. And I, uh, you know, we saw Diego on Saturday. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not going to get into that. Um, but uh, yeah, so and he tops it all off. He says that he is fighting Manny Pacquiao. I saw from the Mac Life Manny Pacquiao confirmed this is in the yeah. works. Oh he, my God. Connor went on Twitter again to say Dana White does in fact know that there are talks for him versus Manny. Um, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. When I saw the confirmation for Manny Pacquiao's like assistant or something, I was like, oh my God, this is real. And it was written in some kind of strange language. It was like, Senator Manny Pacquiao confirms that he would like to help the people of the Philippines who've been hit hard by COVID-19. I was like, okay, that is so different from Political. what you normally get from a com- from a confirmation that I was like, this is 100% real. Both sides are planning or desiring to fight each other, and they think that they're close enough to making this happen that they're willing to talk about it publicly. Okay, I'll pay for that pay-per-view, $100, even though it's like a, a little bit of a sideshow, but hey, it's good entertainment, and I'm happy to see another MMA fighter, or the same one, make a lot more money, because they should be making more money. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the Dana Connor stuff. Initially, yes, I, I think um, it was question one. People were wondering, is this are these legitimate exchanges, conversations? I knew that they were because Dana White kept calling Connor McGregor kid. And I thought, you know, if that's fake, you wouldn't even know to do that, because you would never think that Dana White would, would, would refer to Conor McGregor like that, would, would sort of address him like that. It just goes to show you, like, the, mm, the power differential is still really, really vast, right? That Dana White feels that he can address his biggest star like he's just like his, his, little, his little cousin. Hey, kid, you know, um, this and that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but now what? Now where are we? Because Dana White seems legitimately upset calling Conor McGregor or saying that he broke the man code, that it's the dirtiest thing he can think of, that, um, you know, even even the ladies agree that, that the man code has been broken. <laughs> That's what Dana White has said, right? So <laughs> it seems like he's more upset over this than he was over the bus in, in, in Brooklyn at Barclays. Um, can their relationship be repaired? What's going to happen now? Do you think Dana White's going to put him on ice? That's actually my concern, that he's going to say, okay, we don't need you. You said you're retired. You want to put me on blast like this? Okay. Well, guess what? UFC is bigger than you, always has been, always will be. I'm concerned we'll never see Conor McGregor fight again because of this. I would not go that far because, you know, it, we're there. they're there to make money. 
know, and at the end of the day, him fighting makes money. It makes and the money. only reason they put him on ice is because you want to save him to make more money. So I'm going to just, I have to respectfully say that is, I would not be worried. Natalie, they will, he will fight again and he will make everybody money again. That's Dude, the, normally I would totally agree with you. Of course, the, the UFC, their promotion, they just want to make money no matter what. They don't have to like their fighters. Connor brings in, so hey, personal. imagine he makes them some money. Suddenly Connor is their buddy buddy with Dana on and embedded. It's good. Don't worry. <laughs> So let, let me start from the top. Um, the Manny Pacquiao thing, I'm going to say it has a lot of legs for this reason. We really don't know if a fight with Habib is going to be there. And let's just say like it is. The only reason Conor is not fighting is because Dana does not want to risk it because a potential Habib Conor 2 breaks records again. I keep saying it. Every time you think this fight is done, put them on a press conference. Just let them talk to each other for half an hour and see how much people want to see the fight. It's yeah. that freaking simple. So that's the only reason why Connor's fought. Anything else, you're kidding yourself. They know. Look, they caught lightning in a bottle. They both be coming off of wins. This is all the elements are there to do it again. Plain and simple. By the way, you stack the undercard. Even more so, we're about to make more money, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's the only reason Conor has not fought. If Conor boxes Manny Pacquiao, mind you, he was coming off a loss to Floyd Mayweather when he fought Habib the first time. Losing in boxing does not suddenly hurt your legs, hurt your stock for a big MMA fight. We have figured that out. So if anything, I think everyone understands you're paying to watch the character and the performance of Conor McGregor in the ring, too, mind you. He did have a fun fight with Floyd against a superstar Manny Pacquiao, who we already know, you know, what he can bring in. He was in the fight of the year last year, or one of the candidates against Keith Thurman that had a lot of people excited. And, you know, people are still talking about big-name opponents for Manny Pacquiao this year before COVID. So, my thing is, if he's not fighting Habib, or you're saving him, Who's Connor gonna fight? Gaethje? Tony? Dustin? Michael Chandler? That's not gonna happen. That's too high risk, low reward. You're not gonna give that fight to Connor because you want him, you don't wanna give that risk if you can save it for the Habib rematch. It's too much money on the table. So you box Manny Pacquiao, they make a ton of money, Connor doesn't hurt his stock, we're all happy and we're rolling in the dough again. Okay, that's one thing. If I'm not mistaken, also, Manny Pacquiao is not technically with a promoter. I think he's just on open pay-per-view. He's not really with anybody. They negotiate and they buy a segment of pay-per-view, but he's not with Showtime or The Zone or ESPN Plus. That's top correct, rank. yeah. So that's all a factor in negotiating. Okay, I think I've laid it out there. If they do it, that's why. I'm not necessarily opposed to it for the simple fact that I've already conceded they're not going to give Connor another fight. That's one thing that's been made clear. They are not going to risk it. They're just not going to give him a Jorge Masvidal. It oh, hurts gosh. your ability to make the money off of the Habib rematch. I'll say it again. That's why this is possible. Now, it's yeah, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. With the Dana thing, I yeah, there's a reason why I'll, I'll say this. You think that 
this is the only time that Dana has had these kinds of conversations with a fighter? No. No. Come on now. So uh, I'm assuming this happens more often than anybody would like. The only difference is it doesn't get blasted out there by the most popular fighter in the entire sport and industry. That does make a difference. But and, And I'll say this again. Yes, Dana does not like it. I'm not silly. No matter how much money he stands to make from Connor, that was a low blow. Dana personally, and as a businessman, did not like it. I get that. I will concede, though, once again, I got the impression that Dana White did not want to give Connor credit because he did not want to... Even if they're all standing to make money... He still feels like he wanted to jab back at Connor and be like, no, you can't just walk over me. Same thing when he pulled Connor from UC 200. Yeah. There's a lot of power dynamics there. So that's why he did not acknowledge the Manny Pacquiao talks. It's not because they're not happening. Take it away. Go ahead. No, you're right. That's correct. But that's the frustrating part of of being in this, a fan of this sport that's, you know, basically run by Dana White is that he, you know, I guess that's, that's his prerogative. And that's a, a part of promoting, um, is dishonesty and saying what you need to say to keep people on ice, to keep people, to keep his machine warm, going, so to speak, yeah, to, to keep the media rolling, give them things to, to, to report on, to, create contradiction confusion i mean this is something he's really good at and so you know this is this is just another example of it um as far as pacquiao goes going back to that it's it's crazy to me that he's still a top not because um well look it's it's age is a real issue for athletes right the older you get the slower you get and all that all that stuff but it's not his heyday it's not his heyday, but he's still in the game, man. He's still in it. You know, Keith Thurman fight, and he's still a real. Uh, he's still um, one of the biggest names in boxing. Even though there are so many other amazing boxers coming up in 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 the, those lower weight class divisions, he's it's still Manny Pacquiao. It's still Floyd Mayweather. You know, when when Marquez beat Pacquiao. And, and Jim Lampley gave that really impassioned speech about for, you know, so long there have been two fighters. The world has only recognized the two of the top three fighters, and now they'll recognize Juan Manuel Marquez. But nobody really talks about him anymore. Still talk about Pacquiao. Still talk about Mayweather. So it's a huge fight. But Pacquiao's it's not um, like fighting someone who's past their prime, right? So it's a competitive fight. When you have someone like Pacquiao that's still great and someone like McGregor who's not a boxer by uh, by trade, like a, a straight boxer by trade. So there's a lot to sell here. It's a lot of money. The thing that bothers me is that no matter what, Conor McGregor is still beholden to the UFC and he's never going to make as much money as he could if he was on his own doing this, right? Because the UFC still has to say yes. They still have to, you know hold his hand and, 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 you know, sign, give parental permission. And that, that, that just kind of rubs me. It, it burns me, but that's, that's the deal he signed. And so it is what it is. But yeah, of course, UFC, Dana White, they know where their bread is buttered. It just sucks that for McGregor, he can't fight in his, in his sport because his promotion is just, you know, holding him in the, 
in limbo until the they can have box. a crowd. Yeah. Yeah, until they can have a crowd, right? That's that's just unfair. Like, come on, this has been going on for a long time now. COVID, it's gonna be going on for a while longer. Like, let's just improvise, adapt, overcome. Like, we can't keep McGregor on ice for this. It doesn't seem fair. I mean, uh, I want to say a few things, you know, and then we move on because we got a few more things to talk about. I think one, when you talk, when you talk about Conor McGregor, how active does he want to stay? Like, is he just saying the right things or is he serious, right? We all, we've all asked that question about him, especially retirement, right? Didn't he retire? Mm-hmm. And now look what we're talking about. I know. I swore I yeah. wouldn't talk about him anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, we all knew, right? But um, look, I think the fact that he is that serious about staying active, that's something we maybe question. I think this answers all of that. And I think that's something to be said. Um, once again, I think that, uh, look, I, want, I know that they're doing their thing and the power dynamics, but I'll say it again. I'm not worried about Dana and Connor. You know, money heals all things. And I think they make each other a lot of money. Suddenly we can be very happy and we can let some stuff go. But um, I will say again is that uh, one thing, and, you know, some fighters have said stuff about this, but the fact is the UFC is all about keeping the machine running. We saw with Tony and Dustin. And, you know, hey, when they said, look, we're not going to do it, the UFC immediately said, we're going to stop talking about that and we're talking to Michael Chandler, you know. You don't want to date me. They don't. He doesn't want to date me. Michael Chandler is ready for a nice, committed relationship. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's that simple. And, you know, look, uh, there's a lot of different elements to it. Guys looking to get paid for a fight that would definitely boost pay-per-view numbers. Yeah, that's a real thing. And then if you're the UFC, you're also looking at it and said, look, if we can't make a fight, we need to find somebody because we're trying. If something happens to Habib or Justin, we can't be losing this main event. So there's a lot of different factors into what they do and how everything's done. So I will admit that when you talk about Dana and Connor. But once again, there's so much money on the table. That's the only reason it comes down to it. Why wouldn't you want Connor McGregor to fight? He makes a ton of money, even if there's no fans. Why? Because there's potentially more money. <laughs> that much more. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about it. I think I hit all the points. You did. You did. Except you you don't. Okay. There's say more it. money with. There's more. <laughs> but you like, okay, no one's getting any younger. Like you want to, you want to have your fighters, your big fighters to fight and they're prime. That's all. I'll leave it at that. But there's too much money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Okay. We're done. We're done. We're done. Um, for our next segment, this is becoming a weekly thing. So I'm going to call it Hunting Hamzat. Who is going to fight Hamza Chumayev? He's apparently getting a main event in November. UFC wants him to fight Wonderboy Thompson. Wonderboy wants Jorge or Leon Edwards. I'm assuming they're going to do a lot of talking between now and then. So let's go ahead and revisit it because this became a topic. Who do you think Hamza is going to fight? We do know Dana said he wants somebody ranked. So somebody with a number next to the name. Uh, Natalie, go ahead. Talk to me. Who do you yeah. see is going to get this big fight? I think it's going to be Leon Edwards, whether he likes it or not, I guess. And uh, and that's it. I think because uh, Jorge Masvidal is fighting Colby Covington. Is that is that a real He's thing? He's talking about it. Okay. So it, it essentially said that they have turned they have 
they are done talking about the Nate Diaz rematch, which, for the record, I like. I think that Jorge Colby is the fight to make right now. I wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, like you said, you know, it didn't blow my socks off. All my shoes and everything stayed on when I heard about the rematch. Yeah, uh, for sure. So I think it's going to be Leon Edwards. I'm, I'm going to double down on that. And uh, I guess I don't really have a better, uh, any reason to back it up besides it's just a feeling that Edwards needs to fight, needs to fight. Wonder Boy is a strong name, but I think you'll get a more exciting fight from Leon Edwards with Kamzat, and uh, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there. What do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? I disagree. I do think that Leon and Wonderboy are going to... Because, look, you're talking about a new champion at welterweight. I think that the thing that hurt uh, Stephen Thompson was that, you know, he's still being run by Tyron Woodley when he was in title contention. Yeah. Um, I think that Wonder Boy versus Usman would be a very fun fight if he keeps putting wins together. Um, Leon and uh, Usman have history, and that just makes sense there. I think that they established that they're probably the two top... In terms of rankings, you got it for Leon. In terms of name value, you got it for uh, Wonder Boy. So I think all that just really makes sense for them to fight, especially with the title fight already booked. Um... I'm seeing Neil Magny. Neil Magny is saying all the right things. I could see that happening. Uh, I thought Michael Chiesa, I know Michael said that he's not planning to train because of COVID and that's his prerogative and I respect that. Um, He's around a lot of kids and, you know, a lot of family that's older. So I respect his decision. Although obviously the welterweight division is going to be moving around him. Yeah. Um, RDA is booked. So I would have said RDA if not... um, if he was available, everyone seems to be focused because he's. Um, they think he's going back to welterweight. I looked at it, and you know what? I'm going to hit you with it. Kelvin Gastelum. Big oh. name. Stylistically, I think, would be a fun fight at middleweight. I think that either way, he it moves him forward in any division. And, you know, people are talking about, does it hurt you ranking this way or that way? Just win the fights. And you'll get the title shot. I think we figured that out. We already know he can make 170. That's not an issue. So yeah, Kelvin. I feel like Derek Brunson is booked. I have to double check that. But if not, he's a dark horse. Chris Weidman. But yeah, in terms of welterweight, I feel like there's just less dance partners available. But Kelvin Gastelum, for some reason, stood out to me. So I'll say that. Neil Magny or Kelvin? Do you think that Kamzat is... Worthy, ready for um, for such a big name like Calvin Gastelum. I think Dana White thinks he's ready, and that's more yeah. important. That's 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 fair. Okay, yeah, he's he's really high on this guy, right? I mean, it's pretty clear. I'll say this: the way he knocked out Gerald Mearshart with one shot at middleweight. Uh, Gerald's not a walkover pushover, so I'm like, you know what? If we're doing this, then let's go ahead. I'm trying to think how UFC is thinking, not necessarily what I'm thinking. Yeah, um, I mean, if if um, if Kamzat were to get a finish like that over a name like Kelvin Gastelum, like they would just automatically, instantly have a really big, a new big star. So, okay. like, like if I look at it, you know, um, uh, Hamzat Anthony Pettis. Does that necessarily make sense at welterweight or Hamzat versus Ian Heinich? Or Brett Tavares, 
I think it's very clear that those are not the fights that UFC is looking for for him. So, you know, that just is what it is. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on who's hunting Hamsat in the welterweight <laughs> or middleweight division. Okay, okay. Is he, I mean, is he like just freely, openly going between divisions? Just that's the impression whoever. I keep getting. What about you? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I thought, but I didn't know if he had like explicitly sort of put that out there or he's, it's just like, you know just sort of happened that way yeah i mean i think that he's good with it so if he's good with it i'm good with it you know (laughs) but yeah for the record i i know so you got leon edwards i think it would be magni or someone like gastelum or weidman okay weidman's interesting too but i don't want to see weidman you know he just got a win like i'd like to see him get his mojo back a little bit more didn't you just ask me do i think that uh hamsat's ready for this (laughs) Yes, but I mean, I mean, Weidman he... beat Gastelum, so yes. shouldn't you be more confident in him beating Hamzat? Yeah, but Weidman beat Gastelum a while ago. That's... Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm done teasing. Anyway, <laughs> we'll find out soon. I, I bet you this, we'll find out before they leave Fight Island. Okay, okay. All right, so let's move on. We have a big main event this Saturday um, in the women's bantamweight division. Holly Holm, former champ, taking on Irene Aldana. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, Natalie, is I see this fight a little similar to what we just saw with Adesanya and uh, Costa. And that's the fact that Holly, a lot of experience, great at keeping it at range, great at keeping it at a distance and just using her reach and height. Aldana, um, you know what? So a lot of people are big on her win over Ketlin Vieira. I know her record, it doesn't exactly scream, you know, a lot of stuff. You know, she did uh, lose her first two UFC fights. She's only on a two-fight win streak. But um, let's be honest, this is a title eliminator for Aldana, I think with Aspen Ladd hurt, and if Irena can come up and just really shock Holly Holm, this is this gets her the next shot at Amanda Nunes at 135 pounds. I think that's pretty clear. I think that for Irena, it's kind of similar to what you expected from Costa. I think you really got to chop away at Holly. I think you really got to use your physicality. Um, you can. She cannot wait for Holly. She really has to push the action. She really has to mix it up. I think that that's really the key because what we've seen from Holly Holm is she remains a very dangerous, very technically sound fighter. I think she's still as durable as ever um, for being, you know, now she's quite the veteran. Remember when she became champion, she was still only a few fights into this. So I think that that all bodes well for Holly. But I think obviously the big one, this has been set up to possibly push Aldana into that title picture. Yeah, definitely. They want a fresh, competitive, you know, name fighter to to go up against Nunes. Holly Holm has has uh, had a, three, four title title shots, and um, she's still a, a huge name in in the women's division, bantamweight division. I am really excited by Aldana as a fighter. I like her her Mexican boxing style. I mean, she's from Mexico, but that's very specific style of fighting that she. Of boxing that she has trained with, been trained with, and um, she has power, she has speed, she has excellent footwork. Sometimes she hesitates to pull the trigger a little bit, but Holly Holm does the same. 
And I think, though, as as you've pointed out, and it must be clear to her as well, that she's she's one step away from a title shot. So pressure's on her to to perform, to win, but to also perform, to make it exciting. I think she can do that. She had that great knockout against Caitlin Vieira. I think she's submitted Betch Cohea, which, you know, I know a win over Betch Cohea isn't so impressive these days, but actually both Holly Holm and Aldana have, have really impressive wins over uh, Cohea, which brings me to my first point about Holly Holm, which is apart from, I think prior to Aldana, she, she was you know regarded as the best boxer in the division. I think Aldana is a lot better than her. But what Holly Holm has is massive amounts of experience. She's extremely patient to the point of, of frustration. Going back to the Betchwehea fight, it was kind of a, a boring fight up until the head kick um, where she just whipped it out of nowhere. And it's like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? Okay. I think people were starting to boo in that fight. But Holly Holm is really good at staying to the game, sticking to the game plan, not letting any outside influences affect her performance. She's a very obedient student of, of you know, Greg Jackson and, and, and Mike Winklejohn. So if they have a good game plan for Aldana, Holly Holm has a good chance here. She has that ground game, that pressure against the cage that she used really well against Megan Anderson. But Aldana's strong in all areas as well. So what I'm hoping to see, just as a fan, is a stand-up, you know, bang, banging back and forth war between two really, really strong boxers. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how it's going to shake out. I don't want to go too far into predictions unless you're ready for me to do that. Yeah, uh, we could get there. I was just going to add that, um, well, you know what? Go ahead and predict because I think that my final note would be added into my prediction. So okay. go ahead. Call it. Okay. So I, I, I do, with all that being said, I still think Aldana is the bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful striker, um, except, you know, those leg kicks from Holly Holm are something else. But I think Aldana can can uh, withstand uh, even a really clean leg kick from Holly Holm. So I think uh, Aldana is going to be able to weigh, uh, wear Holly Holm down with head strikes and she'll get a TKO by round four. That's my prediction. My only question is, because I know she had COVID, right? That's why they had to postpone the fight. Yep. Has there been any news or I wonder if she's at all been fatigued by COVID? Uh, I know, you know, she's an athlete and so probably not, but it's still something that I'm sort of considering in the back of my mind as a possible, you know, uh, X factor in the, in the bad direction. But otherwise I'm calling Aldana TKO round four. I haven't heard about it. Uh, you know what? That's such a weird thing because you hear about Juan Archuleta. He said that he was really, his system was really hurt. Other people, they're saying they're catching COVID and they're saying they had the sniffles for 48 hours and then they shook it off and went back to training for a championship fight. It's just very, it's very odd. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I haven't heard that she necessarily had more extreme issues. Um, your assessment, I think, of the fight for Aldana, I, I think that's uh, really clear. I would say, if anything, it's got to be more leg kicks and body work to really, you know, slow down Holly. I don't think you could go out there head hunting. I don't think she has that physicality like Amanda Nunes did that she could really look for that early compared to how, uh, you know, in that fight for Aldana. So yeah, okay. I think that um, I think it's got to be a slow and steady work if you're going to get an Aldana upset. I think, though, 
I gotta go Holly Holm. I know that the UFC's plans involve getting Aldana as the fresh face in there, but I really think that this is a good matchup for Holly. I think her ability to control the distance. I think a lot of people forget just how good she is technically. Um, and I hear this a lot. She got too many title fights. I'm like, okay, since losing the title, she's had one Bantamweight title fight against Amanda freaking Nunes. Her other two title fights were at featherweight. How many featherweights are there? Two, three. Are you sure? <laughs> are you sure it's that many? I'm serious. Yeah. Think about that. So my point of that is that, hey, you know, you're acting like Holly Holm was picked over so many people. No, she was immediately jumping against legend after legend, Chris and Amanda, at featherweight, or sorry, at bantamweight and at featherweight respectively. I think Jermaine Durand to me was just too big and strong at featherweight, to be quite honest with you. I think that everyone will agree Holly does her best work at 135. I think a lot of people will also say she got the shot because they didn't want to sign more featherweights. Um, so I think that the idea that she's just getting title fights off her name and not the fact that she's still consistent in a division that doesn't have too many fresh faces is the reason why. But that'll go back to it. I do think that Holly Holm is showing she's still got a lot of miles left in the tank. She said herself it was either Irene or Aspen because those are the only fights that get her back to a title fight. That's a sign of somebody who's still in it to win it. And I think that stylistically, I don't think Aldana has the physicality and the horsepower to run over Holly in a five-round fight. I think that Holly's really... I mean, when you talk about who she's fought at featherweight, I think that she is prepared to do what she needs to do at bantamweight against Irene. And I think that's going to get the job done. Keep the distance. Uh, stick and move, footwork, um, those uh, beautiful sidekicks. I think all of that's going to add up and she's going to take a unanimous decision over Aldana. Okay. All right. Let's so see. We will find out. <laughs> but yeah, guys, that's the end of the show. Um, the men's Bantamweights will be in action next week. Marlon Moraes, Corey Sanhagen. All of this sets up the next contender after Aljamain Sterling. For Pewter Jan. Um, do you have any thoughts about that one before we head into it? Um, well, I'm excited for it, I guess. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, Aljo's looking looking good. And Pyotr is someone that is, is kind of scary. So it's one of those champions that, you know, now we have Jan that makes you think like, okay, there's a lot of good contenders in the in the in the division, but sometimes you get a champion where you think like, I think it's going to be a second before somebody can, can really do something here. And I kind of feel like that's where we are with Piotr Jan. So you feel like it's going to take some special to make you a believer for these guys next week? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I love watching Marlon. I would argue that he was ready for Piotr um, before they went with somebody else. So um, this is a big fight. This is a good one. Um, I think that for Corey Sanhagen, I think that when you're on the win streak he was on, there's a lot more pressure to redeem himself. But um, yeah, I think that this just sets up a lot of different scenarios at Bantamweight. I wish they'd announced it already. I think, unfortunately, Dana is waiting to see if he could get Pewter into the United States to add him to the December card because otherwise we're waiting probably till 2021 to get uh, Pewter Jan back on Fight Island. So, 
I think that's why, but look, that just means that the line is going to start to get a logjam at Bantamweight, and I hope they sort it out soon. Who wins? Who loses? Who moves on? We'll talk about all that next week. Until then, guys, have a good one.